Nick is here. Nick Fornes. Fornes is here. He is the host of uh, America First, a Zoomer, Africa, Afro-Latino. He looks white to me. How's he Afro-Latino? And a gamer. Nick, welcome to the show. Jesse, thank you so much for having me. I uh, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on your show as well. Um, I got to ask these things first. Um, what is the American dream? That's a good question. I would say probably that the American dream would be to start a family, live a safe, normal, predictable life, uh, have children that will have a better life than you do, or at least a life that's similar to the one that you do. Um, but it, I think it's difficult to describe in the 21st century. But to you, that's the American dream. Mm, yes, that's my American dream. At least. Sound like Joel. He black. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, um, you are you a Zoomer? Yes, yes. I'm how, Generation Z. How old are you? I'm 21. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and are you an Afro Latino? That's correct. That's What's an Afro Latino? You look white to me. Yeah, well, I get that a lot, actually. I'm uh, 2% African, and I'm 25% Mexican. So I go by Afro-Latino. It helps me to not get banned from social media. <laughs> that's amazing. And you are a gamer. That's right. That's right. And what is a gamer? Somebody that plays video games. You play video all day and night? Not all day and night, but I, I do play occasionally. Amazing. Beta! <laughs> Beta Bell. And so you still live at home with your parents? That's correct. Beta Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. You're killing me today. <laughs> Why are you still home with your parents? Saving up my money. To do what? To buy a house. I don't want to rent. You can't do that on your own? Uh, do what on my own? Buy a house? Yeah, rent a nice little cheap place and... Work hard, work two jobs, and work your way up like a, ma a real man does. Well, the situation with me right now is, I mean, I could move out at this point. Uh, I could support myself from my show. But the problem is with my show that YouTube could ban me any day, and that's where I make most of my income. So for me to rent or for me to buy something would put me in a pretty precarious financial position. So... Um, the intergenerational household is a pretty traditional model of living in America and other places. So, uh, so I'm, I'm building up my wealth. Um, you know, I could rent and throw away like a thousand dollars every month, but I think it's more prudent to save it at this point. So you live with both parents, your father and mother together? Correct. Correct. Amazing. And at what point do you plan to move? Um, I would say whenever I could comfortably uh, be able to put down a down payment and reliably, I don't know, maybe two, three, four, five years of payments uh, on a house. I don't know if there's a set point for me. Um, I would just want to be financially comfortable before I'm ready to take that step. And do you date? I'm sorry? I said no, not right now. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, do you tell the women, well, I'm living at home with Mama. Would you like to come <laughs> over tonight? <laughs> Well, that's just it. It's uh, it's one of those things. And my last question about those issues: What is? I know you are a male. Are you a man? Uh yes. And what is a man? 
Yes, I, <laughs> I was I was expecting this question. I watched your show. <laughs> um, well, I would say uh, I agree because I've, I've heard your definition. I agree with you that a man is a Christian, somebody that tells the truth, somebody that worships God. Um, I, I would also say it's somebody that takes care of their family, somebody that protects their wife, raises their children, uh, somebody that's strong, somebody that's virtuous. Um, I would say that that's what, what makes a man. And um, you're a Christian as well, right? Correct. Right yes. on. And so do you have fear? Uh, I would say I have fear of God, but that's about it. That's about it. I, um, uh, I want to know from you, what is America First and what is your show about? Uh, my show, America First, is a nightly YouTube show. It's at 7 o'clock. I've been doing it for almost three years now. And the main theme of the show, the message of the show, is that we have to put America first again. It's a show that's pro-Christian, it's pro-family, it's pro-American nationalism. Uh, the reason I started is because after the Trump election, I saw that there were a lot of people on the fringe that I think a lot of people didn't really, uh, their message didn't resonate with Americans. And I saw that everybody else in the establishment uh, wasn't putting America first. I don't think that they were Christian. Largely, the conservative establishment is comprised of atheists and uh, other religious groups. And so I wanted to start a show that was unapologetically American, Christian, and pro-family, and, and all that good stuff. How long you've had your show? I have had it almost three years now. Really? So how is it going? Are there a lot of Zoomers and millennials agreeing with you about uh, putting America first and Christianity and all that? Yes, yes, it's going very well. Um, you know, it's been incredible to see the show grow. I think when I first started, I could hardly get 100 concurrent viewers, uh, you know, viewing at the same time. And I think this week we got up to 7,800 concurrent viewers. Um, you know, our, our viewership has grown to like 60,000 views per show. So the growth has been pretty substantial, and it's almost all young people. It's almost all uh, Zoomers, teenagers, 20-somethings, um, and a good chunk of millennials as well. So I, I think young people— yeah, go ahead. I w no, finish your point. Okay, I, I was just going to say briefly, I think a lot of young people are coming around to Christianity and nationalism. That's good. I noticed that I work with a lot of young millennials and Zoomers around the world, and I noticed that they're very talented. You know, they, they know how to get things done. They're creative. They know the computer. You know, they know. But the other half is missing, right? Like morality, a belief in God. What happened to them that the other half is missing? They seem to be more into the intellect than they are into logic and common sense. What happened? That's a good question. I think it has to do with uh, the boomer generation, Generation X. I think religiosity really fell away in the last 50 to 60 years. And you, know, you just have to look no further than the parents that raised the Zoomers or the millennials. Yeah. And I think uh, you know the people that were born in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, you know, boomers and Generation X, I think that they lost God because of hedonism, you know, sexually with drugs. Um, and also, I think the culture isn't promoting it at all. You know, the media, the government, I think they're decidedly anti-Christian. So I think You're it's right all about those that. factors. Right. It's all those factors that have conspired to take God out of our lives. I, um, I, I really want to ask this because I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I know that a lot of uh, Zoomers and ZX, I mean, uh, millennials are into the intellect, right? They don't seem to recognize right and wrong. I, um, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I was watching Tucker Carson one day, 
and there was this black guy on there. He black by the name of Bob Smith, I think. Rob Smith. Rob Smith. And uh, Tucker was talking to Rob about conservative issues, uh, uh, more Democrat versus Republican or something like that. And Rob was talking about conservative issues. He sounded like a conservative guy. But then he later screamed out he was a homosexual and that he had a husband. A husband? I'm like, what? I had never heard of... (laughs) I had never heard of black man all my years on earth. I had never heard of a black man saying out loud, especially in the public, that he had a husband. And so... And he claimed to be a Christian. I'm like, no, you can't be a conservative and a Christian and be a homosexual with a husband. Believe me. But I noticed that a lot of millennials seem to see homosexuality and lesbianism as a norm instead of an abnorm. Is that true? Am I seeing this right? Yes, that's exactly right. It's um, And it's really unfortunate that we're seeing that from conservatives. You know, we expect— yeah the promotion of homosexuality from the left, you know, and, and we accept the promotion of abnormalities and deviancy from the other side. But it seems like in the last five years, especially, I mean, even unfortunately, I think, um, you know, in the GOP, they've been promoting this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, I, I agree with you 100 percent. There's nothing Christian about sodomy. There's nothing Christian about a man having a husband. And these are people that are on Fox News. These are people that are being dragged around by Charlie Kirk. And millennials and Generation Z hear this, and they think that there's something conservative about that. It, it's one of the saddest things I've ever seen. But in, and even in, to add to that, in reality, just like reality, there's no such thing as two men being a husband and two women lesbians being wives. It's just not even logical. Like it blows your mind to even try to think of that in a logical way. So, so, so millennials, and not all, not all, not all, but most. Millennials and Z's, they think that that's normal because they've been taught that way growing up or what? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, You know, with my generation in particular, I was born in 1998. And, you know, my formative years were probably the late 2000s, early 2010s. And as I grew up, I think really our generation saw this cultural war because I would say that probably for the first half of my life, homosexuality was... Um, largely disapproved of, gay marriage was not legal. Uh, Generally, people still were sane about this issue. The consensus was that this was abnormal and and all the rest. Um, But as I came up, I would say in like grade school and middle school and and ultimately in high school, you saw that the culture began to shift. And and this happened on television. This happened in politics. You know, Barack Obama and the Supreme Court allowed gay marriage to get passed. And so I think it was one of these formative like political events for my generation, the gay acceptance thing. Um, I think that that really influenced a lot of people. I, I think, in a way, a lot of people are almost pressured into accepting it because, uh, you know, the media portrayed anybody that opposed homosexual acceptance as, you know, some kind of bigot or intolerant or a, a fanatical a religious person or something like that. And so I think uh, with my generation in particular as one of these uh, culturally dominant forces, and now uh, I would say you're right. Probably the vast majority of Generation Z and millennials think that this is something that's okay, or they're just simply afraid to oppose it. But we're going to try and make it cool to oppose it again. You went to college. You graduated from college, right? I did not. I dropped out of college. Oh, good for you, man. How did you have sense enough to drop out? 
Well, that, well, thanks. First of all, yeah, my mom didn't feel the same way that, that <laughs> when I dropped out. <laughs> she, she didn't say good for you. But um, it, well, I, it, the thing about college that I saw is it cost a lot of money. Yeah. And I was there every day. And every day I was thinking to myself, how am I going to pay back however much money I'm going to get in debt? I, I'm thinking every day about how much money is going from my pocket or, you know, um, in debt to the college or to uh, the government. And I'm thinking, how am I ever going to make back this money? How is this degree going to get me a job? And I just couldn't square it. You know, I would go to my classes and the professors were all ridiculous. You know, some of them were saying things I knew weren't true. You know, I, there was one class I took where the professor, he was teaching the wrong class for half the <laughs> semester, teaching out of the wrong textbook. I said, I mean, this guy's a bonehead. You know? <laughs> what am I doing uh, learning here? So, um, so I dropped out. I, I started working. I started working at UPS, actually, saving my money. And uh, right on. here I am now. Amazing. You are amazing to be a Zoomer. You are something else, man. But let me ask, Thank when you were in college, while you were there, were you afraid to speak up and disagree or anything? Uh, I, I would not say I was afraid. I was a pretty outspoken student on campus, but, you know, I it, I should have been afraid, I guess, because a lot of people uh, sent death threats my way, and ultimately I was basically expelled more or less from the school. Not not in a, in a legal fashion, but uh, I, I felt like I was really unwelcome on the campus because of my conservative views. What is it like for white young men and women today knowing that they are so hated by the people of color when it's the whites who founded and built, it, built the greatest country on this side of heaven so the people of color can be here, which was a mistake, by the way. But what is it like living a life like that? It's pretty alienating. I have to say that's probably, in my opinion, that's a source of a lot of the problems for our generation. A lot of the uh, you know mental, so-called so mental, social problems, I think, derive from the fact that White people don't feel like they can be themselves. I don't think they're proud of their heritage. I don't think they're proud of who they are. You know, they're brought up in a, in a curriculum in the public school system and in college teaching them that, you know, they're evil, they're responsible for slavery and the Holocaust and racism. And, you know, meanwhile, uh, blacks, Hispanics, Asians are taught to be proud of their heritage. You know, the rhetoric surrounding non-white people is that they're vibrant, they're enriching the country, they're unique, they're, they're beautiful. And the rhetoric for white people is that their legacy is shameful and they should be sorry and they must apologize and not speak out of turn and so on. I think that's a very damaging thing to say to, to young children. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely. rhetoric where it says that, you know, babies are born racist. I mean, what kind of thing is that to say? So I think it's had a very damaging effect. But do the people of color recognize that they have entered into white people country, left their own asshole countries? If the people of color are so wonderful and smart and amazing, why don't they build countries to indicate that? Why do they have to come to the white man country and, and set up shop? Why don't they stay home? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm asking myself the same thing, right? I mean, you would think with uh, the people that show up, people that come across the border, if they're immigrants or people that have been here for generations, and it seems like all they can do is complain. Yeah. You know, because you're right, it was white people that built this country. Yeah. You see— especially on college campuses, the militancy of non-white people, the demands, the anger, the, the righteous indignation of these people. And you're exactly right. If, if there was something that was so 
They talk about, you know, black excellence or, you know, excellence for minorities. If that was so excellent, exactly right. Why don't they go to Mexico or why don't they go to Nigeria or China yeah. or whatever? They mommy Africa. Great. They can always go to mommy Africa. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Africa is a lot bigger than America. But, you know, for some reason, they stay here and they live in a white society that whites created. But, you know, they just like to sit around and talk about how racist we are. You know, go figure. I have so much I want to ask you about. Oh, are you close to your father? It's manhood. Hour. Are you close to your father? I am. I'm very close to my father. What do you think of the fact that older white men have not spoken up and now the younger white men and women are suffering for it? Well, I think it shows a, an abdication of responsibility. I've been saying this for a long time. You know, on my show, I attack the boomer generation because the boomers, the, the older white men, were not good stewards of their civilization. Yeah. When they saw Christianity going away, when they saw their country going down the tubes, they didn't stand up and put a stop to it or defend the family. They were out at rock and roll concerts, you know, or smoking pot or, uh, you know, doing these kinds of things. Uh, they were concerned with themselves, with their money, you know, with things like that. Um, and so I think it's it's just a total lack of responsibility. And and now, unfortunately, young people like me have to have to rise up and we have to uh, try and fight for what's right. How much do you know about this organization called Turning Point? I know I saw the owner of the uh, founder of the organization saying that he was a Christian. He know the Bible and all that. Um, I want to know from you, what is Turning Point about? And if the owner is a Christian who knows, oh, Charlie Kurt, that's his name? Charlie Kurt is his name, I'm told. If he is a Christian, why is he promoting homosexuality and lesbian and all that crap? Yeah, so Turning Point USA is an organization started by Charlie Kirk. And, um, you know, it's actually kind of interesting. If you look into the legal structure of Turning Point, you could probably understand what, what their purpose is. You know, they're a 501c3, which means they're a nonprofit, but they do some partisan activities. To me, this is just a big apparatus on college campuses that exists to register Republican voters, uh, get people funneled into the political scene in Washington, D.C. Um, it, it's basically just this big... Uh, I would say AstroTurf conglomerate designed by Conservative Inc. Um, it's all the usual suspects. And yeah, Charlie Kirk owns it. He, he purports to be a Christian. He says he's a Christian, but he says at the same time that his Christian beliefs don't inform his public positions, which to me is an absolutely ridiculous position. You know, if you say you're a Christian, but you're in a position of influence and you're promoting diabolical, satanic things, degeneracy, immorality, sin, I just don't understand how a person can square that. You know, right. He says that, well, his, his personal beliefs are Christian, but, well, for everybody else, you can promote satanic things. I mean, I, I just don't get it. But uh, we're trying to hold his feet to the fire a little bit this week. We've been sending people to his question and answer sessions with rosaries, Make America Great Again hats, to show that it's normal conservatives, strong Christians that oppose what he's doing, that oppose what you know, Conservative Inc. is promoting. Uh, so I have seen successful. I have seen some of the guys that uh, from your organization that are showing up at these debates and they're speaking up. And I was so I'm so happy to see that. I'm glad to see men standing up for Christianity for a change because Christianity is the most hated religion on this side of heaven, and it's because Christianity is the best religion. It's the only religion that requires that we change. We examine ourselves and change and be born again, turn back to God, right? So I'm really happy to see that. Um, I was told that 
Charlie Kurt's organization purpose is to control the conversation. Is that true? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They Why say, do you say that's true? Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. They. Um, so they again, like Charlie Kirk, will go to a college campus or he'll do a speech, and these people like to say that they're free speech warriors. They do these events, they do question and answer debates, and they say that their job is to fight in the marketplace of ideas. You know, and and that I think presupposes some degree of. Uh, an equal playing field, some symmetry, you know, they're going to put their ideas on the line and they invite people to challenge their ideas or debate them. But that's actually not what happens. What we see happen is at these Q&As, what they want to happen is that left-wing students will show up to these things or Turning Point members themselves will show up and they'll either ask, you know, very standard questions about socialism or, you know, a silly 18-year-old college student will come <laughs> up and ask, you know, why, why should there be millionaires and billionaires? Which, right. I mean, this is pretty this is pretty low-hanging fruit, right? Or a Turning Point member will come and, and they'll ask a softball question. But the minute that we send somebody to ask a hard question about Christianity, you know, or a hard question about immigration, not just illegal immigration, but legal immigration— all of a sudden, then there's a big problem, you know, because we did this at Ohio State University last week. All of the questions in the Q&A session were from people that, like, watch my show or believe in uh, you know, ostensibly the things I believe in. And the next day, all of the Turning Point proxies said that the Q&A was sabotaged, sabotaged <laughs> by racists. And I'm thinking, sabotage? How? Because we went to the Q&A and asked questions? But that's just indicative of what the purpose is. It's not a free exchange. It's not for people to ask questions. It's for a controlled opposition to come in and participate in a controlled conversation. You step off the reservation and suddenly it's sabotage, it's racism, it's a conspiracy. So so that's why I say that. I, was, I, I think, I mean, when I was growing up, it was always a debate between good and evil. The people who represented God, they stood up. And the people who represented Satan, they stood up. Joel, come and stop this. Where's Joel? Joel. I need you to stop the music. Why are you out there? Joel Black. I want Joel to stop the music. Normally, we take a break right now, but I want to hold you over just for a minute. Uh, I mean, why would you lead us to you? Hold on. Hold on. Um, uh, Nick, we're having some little issue with the computer. Computer, remind no me of my wife. You never know where she's going to go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Are we back? That's good. Okay. So, Nick, have, um, yeah, Nick, uh, have you ever debated Charlie, Kurt? I have not. No, he hasn't allowed me to. Charlie, Kurt. Would you like to do that? Oh, absolutely, yes. Oh, okay. You think he would if invited? I don't think he would, no. I He wouldn't even let me get a picture with him, if he can believe it. Amazing. He, don't, he doesn't like you or something? Yeah, he doesn't like me. He. Uh, <laughs> I think he has a real problem with me, so. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about, well, I don't, but I have a, uh, someone just texted me, and they want to ask you about the Charlottesville situation. And the Charlottesville situation is where the alt-right was protesting removing a General Lee statue. And Antifa showed up, such an evil group. And you can tell they're evil because they have to hide their faces. And whenever anyone wants to do wrong, they have to hide and do it, right? And a girl was killed in a car crash there. 
Um, I heard that you got threats and things for being there. Is that true? That's true. That's true. What was that like for you? It was, um, it was pretty difficult, you know, uh, because at the time I was 18 years old. Um, was I 18? I think I was, I was 18 at the rally. I turned 19, like two weeks later. Um, but I I was a very young man. I, I just dropped out of college. I didn't really know where my life was headed, you know, what direction I was going in. If I, I had just dropped out, so I didn't know, can I have a normal life and work after attending an event like this? Or am I going to have to make it in politics? And, um, you know, right after I went to Charlottesville, I, I started getting death threats from all over, from people at my school in Boston, from people in my hometown in Chicago. I had people that I went to high school with who were DMing me on Facebook saying, if I see you around town in a MAGA hat, you know, I, I'm going to beat you up or wow. I'm going to kill you or something like that. Um, so so it was pretty tough, you know, and, and my family was definitely concerned um, about what might happen to me or what might happen to the house or them or something. So it was a pretty tough time, but, uh, you know, thankfully it's been something like two and a half years since then. So a lot of that has subsided. Amazing, man. I want to ask, um, I don't, I mean, I'm against, I, I don't, I know that homosexuality and lesbians and all that stuff is abnormal and that you could be born again and overcome it. I know, uh, at one time I was a Democrat, I was a liberal, so I was a part of the Democratic thing, right? But then when I was born again, God changed my heart, my, my heart, my values changed. So I read the platform of the Democratic Party and the Republican, and I noticed that the Republican conservative platform was about God, family, country, constitution, freedom. And so I could no longer, I, would, I could no longer agree with the Democratic platform because it's all evil. It goes against everything about God family and country, the unborn children and all that. And so I joined the Republican Party because of the platform was a moral platform given to them by God. And there were there were homosexuals and lesbians and men and women sinning, but they weren't proud of it. They were not promoting it. They just promoted the conservative values. And now they seem as though they want to infiltrate the conservative party, but they want to promote the junk that come with them. And I have an issue with that. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. I, I feel the same way as you do. I think a lot of people feel the same way. They're wondering what happened to the conservative party in America. Yeah. It seems now like the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are virtually the same. And there are some minor differences on, uh, you know, maybe the Second Amendment or, or something like that. But, you know, if they have homosexuals on the stage promoting this kind of stuff, well, you know, we saw James Younger two weeks ago getting chemically castrated and transgender uh, seven-year-olds and uh, drag queen story times and all this. Where's the moral leadership from the conservative side? Where's the moral Christian leadership from the Republican Party? I, I'm not seeing it, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a shame that nobody's willing to stand up for Christian values in D.C. There's not a single person, I don't think, anymore. Are they selling out the God, as the, as the Democrats have done, uh, academia has done? Are the Republicans selling out God for a vote for power and wealth? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the message from Charlie Kirk. The message is this. Uh, you know, Charlie Kirk says, I'm a Christian and I don't believe in it. You know, I don't go along with it. However, we need homosexuals on the stage. We need degeneracy because that's going to help us win, because that's going to help us, you know, show that the left is hateful or I don't know, some convoluted argument like that. Uh, but you can't win if you don't have moral leadership or conversely, 
if you win, but you don't have Christian virtue, what's the point in winning? Who's actually winning there, right? Right. So to me, the whole thing is just uh, completely ridiculous. And and it's very, it's a very sad day when we don't have any, any political establishment or institution fighting for Christian morality. I think everybody, like you said, is sold out. You seem to know this uh, Charles Kurt guy better than I do. Does he know that it's impossible to be a a son of God and promote the children of Satan? Does he know that that's wrong or he think that there's no issue? I don't think he knows. I don't think he knows or or maybe he thinks it's not a problem. I don't know what kind of Christian he is. I I don't— I don't know his heart. I don't know where his faith is at. But, you know, surely by his actions, he shows that he can promote this kind of stuff. I think Charlie Kirk is somebody who is a big player in Washington, D.C., and I don't want to presume his intentions. But to me, it seems like he cares a lot more about money or influence or something like this than he does about promoting his his actual values. And I don't say that lightly, but I look at his actions as somebody who is in a position of tremendous influence, particularly over young people. And he uses it to promote things that are, I mean, obviously bad, to promote things that are obviously not Christian, obviously not moral. And I don't know what else you could say about somebody like that other than they are probably more concerned with material things, probably concerned more with their own clout or their own stature than they are about doing what's right. Uh, It's amazing to me to hear Christians say that they are of God, which is good, right? And and promote evil, which is of Satan. I don't know what happens in the brain that causes so co- uh, so-called Christians to think that they can ride two horses at one time. They can serve to God. I don't know what happened. I really like to know what happened with the Christians. They think that they can serve God and Satan because anyone that is promoting homosexuality or lesbian, we're not supposed to hate, but we're not supposed to accept evil as good. Exactly. Well, and and particularly in Charlie Kirk's position, he's promoting evil as good to young people. What does it say in the Bible about people that lead God's children, his his little ones astray? They say that you'd be better off if they tied a millstone to your neck and threw you into the sea. You know, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's uh, that's not a call to action. You know, we disavow violence. But it does say the gravity of the situation that, you know, especially in his position, where he's got a lot of young, impressionable, conservative Christians, and he's putting, like you said, evil on the stage and telling them, you know, not simply to tolerate these people and not simply to not hate them, but to accept them, to accept their lifestyle, accept this as normative and normal and and all that. And this is why I think they're so afraid of having a conversation or a debate, because I think Charlie Kirk knows that if enough people start asking the questions that we're asking, how can you be a man of God but promote evil— they don't have a good answer for that. They don't have a good answer for their donors. They don't have a good answer for their followers, for Christians. And they know that. And that's why they have to hide. That's why they have to call everybody who has a problem with this homophobic, you know, whatever, whatever the, the word is this week. So uh, so I think that's really how they're operating. I noticed that whenever the children of the lie, whether it's the so-called Christians or non-Christians, when they want to promote evil, they always use the blacks to promote evil. And blacks, because they hate white people and they are not of God, they are too willing to promote evil. I'm Growing up, I never saw anything like that, and it's just amazing to see it today. 
Yeah, well, it's it's terrible the way that they've been weaponized against us. I think it's pretty obvious why Charlie Kirk had Rob Smith on the stage. Rob Smith was there to be the black gay veteran who would shield Charlie Kirk from criticism from the left. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's really a substitute for moral courage. Instead of Charlie Kirk saying, I'm a Christian, I oppose this, I'm going to stand up for God, he wants to get a black homosexual on the stage so that he could say, oh, see, look, I'm complicit in evil, and the left won't attack him, right? That, that's the idea. And of all the blacks he could have gotten, he got one with a husband. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. So my, find one with a wife? <laughs> I'm telling you, at least get one with a wife. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to ask my final question to you is, I, uh, I don't know, but I've been told that you hate the Jews. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is what they say about me. Uh, that's what a lot of conservative establishment types say. I don't hate the Jews. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate any any person, anybody's a group. We're Christians. We love everybody. Um, do you love said, the Jews? I do. I love everybody. Why are they saying that you hate the Jews? Well, I think— um, the way that it works these days is if you have a criticism of a group that, that isn't white people, uh, of course, they say that you hate them. You know, if you have something to say about black people that isn't, uh, you know, overwhelmingly positive or, or you know, generalizing in, in one direction, well, you hate them, you know. And if, if you have something to say about Mexicans coming over the border that isn't, that they're vibrant and enriching the country, well, you hate them. You know, you hate Mexicans. And if you have something to say about Jews, you know, Jews who have I mean, they wield a lot of influence in Hollywood and media, in the pornography industry. I mean, they're up to some bad stuff in this country, a lot of them. That's not all of them. Not all, not all, not all. <laughs> not right, not all of them. <laughs> but uh, but, but th we do know that there is a problem in the country, and I address that on my show. I'm honest about it. I, I don't really shy away from that. And, you know, again, if you don't have something, if you have something not positive or less than positive to say about another group, well, then you hate them. You're a hater, all that. So, so that is so true. I stuff. totally understand that because uh, when I was a Democrat, liberal, godless person, they loved me. But when I became a son of God and promoted what's right and I love all people, uh, but the blacks are calling me Uncle Tom, sell out the N word. Have you ever been called the N word? I've never been called the N. You are not. Uh, wait until they call you the N word. But I've been, <laughs> <laughs> I've been called the N word, Uncle Tom, a sellout. You hate your mama, you hate your daddy, all kinds of names, right? And the radical homosexuals, they don't like me. But I don't care about the word, name calling. The word, I let the words roll off my back. I love God with all my heart, soul, and might. I love my country. I love family. Family, the order of God, a family, not two men or not two women. That ain't no family. But I love the family. I love the freedom. I like individuality. I grew up that way. And I'm just not going to allow the children of the lie, which are the liberal media, the Democratic Party, the rhino Republicans, the never Trumpers, the uh, black race hustlers, and most of the black preachers who are not called by God but by their mama. I'm not going to let them intimidate me and and to force me not to stand up for what is right. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely. And that's the right mentality to have. You're, uh, I, I saw your event at Politicon. I watched your show. And 
Um, and even I saw some of your tweets last week about Charlie Kirk, and, and I will say that you are one of the few people that I've seen in this in this ecosystem of conservative pundits or whatever that, that does that, that stands up for Christ and has courage. And I think everybody appreciates that, uh, and I think everybody is inspired by that. And I feel the same way. I only fear God. I don't fear being called a racist or, you know, whatever. I, I fear God. And that's why I do what's right. So I'm with you, man. We're together on this. For 30 years, I've been asking, where are the white people? Where are the white people? Why aren't they speaking up? I want white people to come the way they did when they founded this country and through all the hell they had to go through, created the greatest country on this side of heaven. I think that it was a mistake, though, to let the people color in because it's like inviting your enemies into your home to destroy you. But I really appreciate the fact that they uh, uh, created the greatest country on this side of heaven. And I just don't understand why don't they stand up and defend it, right? Because if they don't, it, the same thing going to happen that happened in Mommy Africa. Mommy Africa! Uh, <laughs> the blacks took over there, and now the white people land been taken away from them without compensation. The whites have been, by the blacks, they have been robbed and raped and murdered and all kinds of things are happening to them. And um, that's what's going to happen in America if we continue down this road. So I'm asking white people to overcome the anger. Don't be angry, but speak up, get involved with politics, run for office, win so we can take back the government, we can take back America. They got to do it. Otherwise, it's over. I agree. I agree. It's um, <laughs> I don't uh, think we're in a great position as a country right now. I think we really are at a crossroads. And, and you're right. If, if the young people don't take a stand, or if white people don't take a stand, uh, we will go the way of other countries. And, you know, I always say on my show, you just got to think about it. Is it is a worse thing to be called a racist now or to live in a country like South Africa tomorrow? Right. Kids live in a country like that. You That's know? right. So I'm with you 100 percent. That's exactly right. And also, you guys need to. uh get married and have some white babies, marry a woman and have some white babies. <laughs> we need white babies. <laughs> That's right. Yes, yes. I, I get in a lot of trouble for saying the same thing. I had somebody DM me the other day and they said, did you really say that we need more white Christian babies? I Absolutely. Said, Absolutely. I did. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We do. <laughs> did, you, did you know I started White History Month? July is our White History Month. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I did see one of your interviews. Uh, I, I think um, maybe it was recently you said, are you celebrating White History Month? And they said, um, oh, 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 I, I think, you know, they didn't want to answer it. <laughs> so some liberal, some beta, right? But, beta! Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we love that. Yeah, I, I do love White History Month. We need it. That's right. Were you asked, I don't know what the question was, but were you asked a question last night from a guy by the name of Dalon? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, he's, he's asking me to ask you, what did you think about that question? I'm afraid to ask because I don't know what Dylan asked you. Is it safe for you to say what he asked and your response to it? Uh, yes, yes. What did he ask you? Well, well, actually, he asked, um, he went to Matt Walsh's event. Matt Walsh worked for Daily Wire. He went to one of his college speeches, and, and he asked Matt Walsh about, about me, actually. He said that, um, you know, he said to the speaker, Matt Walsh, he said, you know, you say that we should engage in discourse and not name call and not, um, 
you know, disavow people because of what they might say or whatever. He said, but you did this exact same thing to Nick Fuentes. He said, you know, would you debate Nick Fuentes? Uh, why would you call him names? Do, do you think people should disassociate um, because he's been called names? And uh, the response from Matt Walsh was was essentially to to slander me, to smear me uh, again, you know, like we just talked about as a Jew hater and, and all this kind of stuff. And nobody should associate with him. And so I thought it was a great question. I think um, he did a great job pointing out the hypocrisy of a lot of these people yeah. in the conservative establishment. Well, based on this conversation, Nick, you have my utmost respect. And uh, I admire the fact that you are a Zoomer and you're white and you're standing up for God and Christian values and family and what is right for America. I want to encourage you to be safe, but don't be afraid. You know, keep it up. It's so amazing to finally meet a white male who is not afraid to speak up. I really admire that. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, the feeling is mutual. I think uh, everybody that watches my show is a huge fan of yours, and we feel the same way about you. So so thank you very much for saying that. It's amazing. How can people get to your show? What's your website and all that good stuff? Uh, sure. So my website is NicholasJFuentes.com. My show is America First with Nicholas J. Fuentes on YouTube. It's every weekday at 7 p.m. Central Time. You can find me on Twitter at, at NickJFuentes. Do you know who Joe L. is? Uh, I don't. He's my uh, audio engineer. He also owns his own company now. He's black, and we just found out, oh, about a year ago, that he's 30% white. Wow, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I hope you meet him one day. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All I right. really appreciate it. All right. Keep up the good work. All right. You too. Bye. Amazing, folks. Finally, a white man standing up. Isn't that amazing? That's like odd, almost. And standing up for what is right. And you heard him say he hate no one. And I understand that people can falsely accuse you of hating. Really, that doesn't mean you do. Just because you tell the truth and you disagree, that doesn't make you a hater. That makes you a lover. Just FYI. You are not supposed to accept wrong as a right. But wrong is supposed to fight against good because Satan wants to defeat good. But it can't do it if you stand up without the hate. And Nick Fuente seemed to be doing that. I wish him well. So amazing. Amazing. And don't forget to like, follow, tweet, subscribe, and share the Jesse Lee Peterson radio show folks. We really appreciate it. We are at war. It is a spiritual battle for the soul of America. And it's going to take all of us to do it. <laughs>